The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Second week in Lent, um, and we're talking about passion. Passion, it's just a word that means, in this case, suffering. If you're passionate about something, you're willing to what? Suffer, right? Suffer for that thing. Places of the passion. We're focusing on places that Jesus went during his last weeks or last week on earth. Last week we talked about the upper room. You remember the upper room where uh, Jesus washed the disciples' feet, uh, where Judas was going to betray him. And then we, we, we understand from what Jesus said that remember there was arguing there in that upper room. And people, uh, the disciples were saying, who's the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom? And Jesus uh, really had to set them straight and say, my kingdom's not like this at all. My kingdom's about who's the greatest is going to be the one who serves and who's humble, who has a faith that's, that's humble and serves. So um, what we find really uh, is that when, I, th- I said it last week, when Jesus enters a place, He's never going to leave it as he finds it. Always changes. And so that upper room was last week. This week, it's the Garden of Gethsemane. And not only does Jesus have sorrow in the garden, but the disciples do too. And then what we're going to find is that Jesus turns this place into a place of strength and hope with what he does uh, because he loves us. Jesus never goes to a place and leaves it as he finds it. And so we're going to talk about that continuing in Luke chapter 22. But first, I'm going to ask this. I know it's only 845 in your, your uh, world, right? Mine too. But are you awake? Okay, good. So uh, my, one of my favorite family games to play, maybe it's not my kids, but we always have all kinds of laughs with it, is charades. I don't know how... Uh, avid you are in this game called charades, you know, where you can't speak, but you just describe something. And so I'm going to describe something. I'm going to see how well you do. Okay? Just feel free to speak it out. And I realize that I'm going to hear from all kinds of people. And if I hear the right word, then great. And I'll say it and speak it out. But we're going to play this quick game. Are you ready? Okay, here I go. Jesus, right. Very good. Is. She got it here. Almost love. King, almost king. So what's the first word? Lord, very good. You got it. Well done. See? Excellent. Great job. That second word, though, And here's where I'm going with this. The second word, when I do this, it means a small word, right? It's a small, simple word. We use it in almost every sentence. We just use these small words, of, and, the, is. And they're important. Small, important words. And what 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 I'm getting at is this. I was reminded this week that um, there's a marriage retreat that's going on. So there's 50 couples, at least, of our church uh, 
uh, somewhere. I don't even remember the location. Is it Maumee, Ohio? Where is it? Port Huron. And that's where they are. And as pastors, when, when couples want to get married, you know, on their wedding day, we ask them to say two small important words. For better or for worse. For richer or for poorer. In sickness and in health, do you? And they respond by saying what? I do. I do. Two small words that begin a lifetime of commitment. And then children come. Then there's financial stresses. Then there's all kinds of things that make those two simple words to be really, really hard to do. Wouldn't you agree? Really hard to do. And then as you're married, and even beyond those years, more decisions come. Decisions like, oh, how do I care for my aging parents? Or even decisions like, how do I care for my aging spouse? And you pray, and you, you lose sleep over it, and words come out in prayer, in bed. Maybe something like this. My husband is falling all the time at home. He's losing his mind. Should I put him in a home or should I keep him in the house? I don't know what to do, Lord. Please help me. And we struggle with prayer. You've been married 50 years. You remember those I do, for better, for worse, for richer, poor. He doesn't want to leave, you know, but he'll be cared for 24 7. Yet his heart is broken. Lord, what do I do? Struggles with those words that you said years ago. I do. Jesus said small and simple words in the Garden of Gethsemane. But they're very important and they're meaningful to us. We're going to look at them. Luke chapter 22. Open up your Bibles, please. Page 1,638. And just like those words I do... Their commitment for life. When Jesus says these words, he's committed us for life. And it happens in a place of passion, a place of struggle, a place of suffering, the Garden of Gethsemane. We're going to continue, and we're going to pick up in verse 39 from Luke chapter 22 from last week. Uh, We read a portion of Luke 22, if you remember. Beginning in verse 39, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. And I'm going to stop right there, verse 39. Read it again uh, just to yourself. And I thought, well, we're talking about the places of the passion. And since we're talking about the places of the passion, I thought I'd get a Google Earth shot of where that is so you could see it. Maybe it'd be hard to see some of the uh, letters there, but I'm just going to show you very quickly what you're looking at. Right here is the old city of Jerusalem with the walls here, um, on the Mount of Olives, if you see that right there, Mount of Olives, I'll put it on here so you can see what I'm talking about. Jerusalem, north, south, east, and west, you know, north, south, east, west. So Mount of Olives is east. There's a valley called the Kidron Valley there. The Mount of Olives has been uh, in scriptures even from Zechariah's time. That's where Jesus is said to come back at his second coming at the Mount of Olives. And then from here, from the Mount of Olives to There, the city where Jesus was in the upper room somewhere in here, uh, up here to the north of the city somewhere is where he was crucified um, in this area. 
from here to here is a Sabbath day walk. Three quarters of a mile. That's how far in a religious terms you could go on a Sabbath. That's all the farther they could go. So for a Sabbath day walk from here to the Mount of Olives, somewhere in this area. It's high in elevation. It's 2,600 feet, roughly in this, this ridge. Um, this is what we're talking about, places of the passion. I was hoping that would be helpful to you, even in modern terms. I mean, we're talking about, you know, Abraham's time. The, Mount, the Dome of the Rock, where that mosque is, is, is where, you know, Abraham was supposed to have sacrificed Isaac. And... David's time, the temple, it just, it's crazy, isn't it? The history, and we're looking at it right now, live, and we're reading it in God's word. Jesus went out, as usual, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. Let's continue with verse 40. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Luke tells this story. He outlines a Lord's Prayer. Not the Lord's Prayer, but a Lord's Prayer. Because he wants us to notice Jesus' immense passion and struggle to fulfill his Father's will. That he would very soon take up the cross, the wrath of sins for the whole world he would suffer for us. And that prayer is really summarized in verse 42, isn't it? A simple sentence or phrase is, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. In a matter of seconds, five seconds, a simple phrase, we hear the heart of Jesus' prayer. And then Luke moves on. He moves on. And we think about, because of the brevity of that prayer, maybe we miss, maybe we miss the depth of the struggle that Jesus had. But then Luke adds these comments. He writes words like, more earnestly he, pray, he was praying. He writes words like anguish. He's strengthened by an angel. The Bible says. These details of that place really suggest that it's a place of suffering. It's a place of passion. Remember Jesus' words. Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. I mean, in all his humanity. He's 100% God, but he's also 100%. Are you with me? He's 100% God and he's 100%. Thank you. And he's concluding then, okay. And all, I mean, he th- just think about it. He sees that Judas is going to betray him. He knows the soldier's going to come. He knows he's going to be whipped. He knows all of this in this time in Gethsemane, but he says simple words of obedience, not my will, but yours be done. That was Jesus. And his life task was to do the will of his Father. John chapter 6, verse 38 says it this way. I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but do the will of him who sent me. Small and simple words, but just like marriage, it's such a hard commitment. Not easy to live out. But Jesus, as fully God and fully man, we see him struggling 
but yet fulfilling what God has asked him to do. How long did Jesus pray? We don't know. Well, we do know that he prayed long enough for the disciples to fall, what? To fall asleep. And then Luke describes, he doesn't describe all the words that Jesus said, but they're enough to know what he's going through. I mean, any one of us who've been at that point when we say, I do, God, or I will, God, and we're in a situation where we said, I will, I do, and we understand how tough that can be. Honor your father and mother. Stay faithful to your wife. Love your neighbor. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Simple, small words to guide in life. But anyone who says, I do, to these expectations of God, do we know how hard that struggle can be to live them out? Because when a young one, a, a, a teenager in your home, you know, doesn't come home, when a spouse works late to late hours of the night, and you don't see him. When there's a cold shoulder in the bedroom. When friends betray you. We know the struggle. We understand. And we say and we cry out in bed simple words. Lord, help. Guide. Please. We just say simple, small words. And then in that time, however the hours go by, right? It's like time, it just stands still. We have all these emotions. We have fear. We have anger. We have joy sometimes that God opened a door for just a little bit. All these emotions go, and then we, we, we watch. God, how are you going to work? And we continue to pray again, and we're silent. And there's sighs that come out. And there's groans that come out. And then finally, in the end, we fall asleep. I mean, how many of you have been in that kind of situation? I know I have. There's only so much that we can bear. There's only so much struggle that we can do, and we fall asleep. Why did the disciples fall asleep? Do you remember why they fell asleep? Verse 45 says it. They're exhausted from sorrow. And in a parallel account in Matthew's gospel, it describes Jesus going a stone's throw away, then coming back. Then he goes again, and he comes back. Can you imagine the disciples see the agony and the suffering on Jesus' face? And he comes back, and and they're exhausted from sorrow too. I mean, he did say what was going to happen to him. And they're finally coming to realize, it's. (laughs) I think it's kind of soon here, guys. You see, doing the things of God can lead anyone to, to places of exhaustion and even sorrow. We live and we try to live out those simple words, I do, and they can cause difficulty and stress and pain. And as I considered this place, this upper room, and then going to the Mount of Olives, you remember last week I said geographical places can connect us to spiritual change, life change, transformation in our faith journey. Remember when I said that last week? If you were here That's what it does. No individual really is, uh, I mean, it just, it connects. Um, So here's what I was thinking. I was thinking that um, in in Luke chapter 22, verse 39, and in Luke uh, chapter 21, verse 37, it, it has these words. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. 
And then he writes earlier, each day Jesus was teaching at the temple and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. I thought, it's no wonder where, where Judas would tell the people when he's betraying where to find Jesus. Jesus had a normal place to pray. As usual, this is what he did. So besides church, do you have a normal place to pray? Do you have a prayer place? For seasons of my life, I did. Probably for three, four years, maybe a little bit more than that. I would go to this place. It was called Castlewood State Park. And it's on the bluffs of the Merrimack River in South uh, St. Louis area. And I don't know if this was the right place or not, but uh, I, those rocks, I remember sitting and just having my legs dangle over that cliff. It wasn't as dangerous as it looked because, you know, you can't see that, you know, 10 feet down, there's a little, little area of dirt, so I wouldn't fall directly down. But this time in my life... You know, I struggled. I cried out to God. You know, even in Scripture, when people pray, they go up on a mountain to pray. There's several examples of that, that they seem that they'd be close to God. It was so peaceful, so quiet. I would wrestle. I would cry out to God, God, should I marry this girl? Could I marry this girl? I would cry out to God, Lord, you have me in this crossroads of life. Should I take this job at Southwest Airlines for marketing? You know, should I, should I stay in town and take an airport city job? Should, should I go and be a travel director, go all around the world? Lord, what should I do? And, and should I marry this woman? Times of prayer at this place. And what God turned out that I did marry that girl. Been married for 24 years now. She's actually in St. Louis this weekend taking care of a a new nephew uh, that we have. Uh, My sister-in-law just had a baby. She's 40 years old, had her first baby, and what a miracle that was. And so she's there. Um, Ten years I worked at the airport, and I went on a seminary. That was a prayer place for me to say, Lord, you really want me to go to seminary? What are you doing? A prayer place that connects us to spiritual uh, life change. Jesus had this, and then as he goes to, uh, to pray, he comes back. He says to his disciples, would you stay awake so you don't fall into temptation? Did they stay awake? No. They fell asleep under the sorrow and under the struggle. We fall asleep. We get exhausted. We fail. We can't pray enough, can we? No individual strong enough really to obey all the things that God commands us to do. God tells us to do these things. We try, but we fail. Yet in our failing, in our weakness, in our struggle, Jesus never fails. Can you imagine that? That he's praying to God the Father for his disciples. We're too weak Jesus is not. He accomplished really what he set out to do with his I do, with his I do to his Father and to us. The disciples fall asleep. We fall in human weakness, but there was something stronger than sorrow at that place. What was that something? It was God's love. It was God's love for the world. At that place of the Garden of Gethsemane, we see the Father's love. We see Jesus' service and his love for us. Jesus is 
Lord. We understand that in that place of the Garden of Gethsemane. So what do we learn? What do we learn about Jesus and he's praying that night? That when Jesus enters our places of sorrow and weakness, he turns it into his strength and hope for what he's done. That God's love overcomes our human weakness. His love made a place of sorrow, a place of strength and hope. And here's how I want you to understand this from Luke chapter 22. Earlier on, verses 31 and 32, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Can you imagine That Jesus, in his prayer place at Gethsemane, that he's crying out to God by name, all of his disciples. The disciples who were sleeping. Yet Jesus is in agony and in anguish and he's praying by name. That is an awesome thing to know. That Jesus right now is praying for you and for me by name. Do you know that he intercedes for us? Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also doing what? Interceding, praying for, by name, each and every one of his home. Because he said that God would never allow him to lose anyone that's his. You know, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking a time in my family life where this was so true for me, that in my human weakness, in my failing, that God's love and God's grace overcame all of that. I'm going to tell you a little story. A couple Christmases ago, um, we took our eight-passenger Ford Expedition to St. Louis. It's one of the first times that... uh, uh, I put a carrying luggage case on this car. It was the first time, actually. Um, And if you know a little bit about me, you know I have no mechanical IQ. So I have these ratchet straps and S-hooks, and, you know, it's cold and it's rainy uh, on our way to St. Louis. And so the night before, I put it, you know, in uh, my six kids. You're only allowed one bag, one carry-on, right? So we're going, and we're putting these, I'm putting the bags in, I'm strapping it down, everything's all good. I get up the next morning, we head out when it's still dark, six, five, six in the morning, and I'm driving in Ohio. I know, right, Ohio? So um, we're driving, and all of a sudden I hear on the top, what's that? I looked in the rearview mirror, and I see this luggage rack, hard-carrying luggage. I go, my stomach sank. And I'm like, oh, Lord, please don't let anybody have an accident. That was the first thought, right? And I just see bags flying on the highway. I get off the next exit. I come around. By the time I come around, there's already this State Farm guy with lights on and everything. He's collecting my bags. I'm like, what? How did that happen? You know? And then I'm helping him, too. And, and you ever know that game Frogger? You know so, And I look both ways on a one-way highway, right? Dad, why are you looking both ways? I don't know. Picking up clothes, you know. We count the bags. There's six of them. Well, there's supposed to be eight, right? Eight eight in my family. Six kids plus two oldest kids never found their bags. We searched all up and down the highway like, 
So I'm driving, we get everything, it's good, the, the luggage rack is trashed, you know, all the wet clothes my kids are, step, you know, stepping on inside, it was just a very disgusting trip. Um, and we're, we're, we're going, and I look back, and, and my daughter, Lauren, who's in the first row right here, crying, um, I'm like, oh, I could just, I'm sorry, Lauren, you know, and so we're driving, I feel really bad, I'm just a bad dad, um, no, no, get this. And then she's, she's crying a little more. And I'm like, well, what's the matter? She goes, Dad, I don't care about my clothes. It's my Bible. My one and only Bible that you gave me when you were, you know, we, we give um, a Bible to my kids when they, when they first can read, you know. So they read, we give a Bible. Lauren's got this fabulous uh, memory. So she's got, got it all memorized anyway, but it's all highlighted. It's all notes and everything. And I'm like, Oh, I'm so bad. We can't find her bag, you know. It's the Bible's lost. She's crying, Lord, please, just I want the Bible back. I'm in tears. I want the Bible back. Twenty minutes down the road, I get a phone call. It's from Lou Zale from our, our office. Pastor Tony, something really strange. The police department at Dunkirk, Ohio called. What? I can't talk right now, Lou. I'm sorry, I'm driving. I just don't you know, here, pass the phone back to my wife. She's on the phone with Lou, like five minutes later. Wah! She's screaming out, yeah, they found Lauren's Bible. What? This old lady in this place found a Bible in her yard, looks at it, get, calls the police department. Why? I don't know. Police department investigates. There's a bulletin, church bulletin in, the, in her Bible. There you go. After 20 minutes down the road, and I'll show you this, this uh a uh, picture of the Bible. That's what happened. I know how it happened, but what a miracle. God's intervention in that. Amen? He takes our weakness, you know? Now, that was a miracle, but sometimes he's going to answer no in our lives, right? Sometimes he's going to say, you got to wait. Maybe I'm going to do it. Maybe I'm not. We don't know. In this situation, it was a yes, you can, you can have your Bible back. That's, I'm going to grant you the desire of your heart, but God always does what's best for us. I mean, even if he didn't find that Bible, our faith would have been strengthened because of that. In this situation, it was yes, but here's a scripture verse, Roman, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9, where Paul's writing, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. And take what away from me? It was some sort of weakness, some sort of struggle, something that the Bible says it was a messenger of Satan, actually. A messenger of Satan to torment him. But then he, that's Jesus, said to Paul, me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. As we move through this season of Lent, you heard what happened last week, the place of the upper room, where Jesus turned that place of arguing into a place of humble service. This week, God's turning that garden of Gethsemane, that, that place of sorrow and of weakness, and he's turned it into his strength and his power for us. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to leave this place today. And we're going to go into the places where God has called each and every one of you to be. 
And as you go in that place, maybe there's going to be simple, small words that you say. And it's going to be a struggle. It's at those times in life, wherever you are, whatever place it is, that God wants you to know his strength is more than your weakness. Our sin, God's got it taken care of because that's what he shows us each and every day, that his love is more powerful than our sin and our weakness. Those days when we're going to fall asleep from exhaustion, it doesn't matter. We're in the kingdom of God. God calls you by name to be his. And here's the truth. We have a God who never sleeps, who never slumbers, is always listening to our prayers no matter what time of the night. So you see, Jesus, he accomplished what he set out to do with his I do for you and for me. Amen? Amen.